0: that's so good right if you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles bones joints fascia and nerves of the feet and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees this event is for you in addition to the classroom and movement time with me you're on retreat so there's Delicious meals, a nature rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner. This is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're going to leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. Hello, dear listener. I am Katie Bowman, and this is the Move Your DNA podcast. I am a biomechanist and the author of Move Your DNA and seven other books on movement. On this show, we talk about how movement works on the cellular level, how to move more, and how to move more of your parts, as well as how movement works between bodies and in the world, also known as movement ecology. All bodies are welcome here. Are you ready to get moving? I just turned 44. Did you follow along on my birthday walk challenge on Instagram? When I was done walking 440 miles, yes, you heard right, 440 miles, I wrote a debrief of the hows and whys, but it was so long, I thought I'd save you the screen time and read it to you instead. You can find the written version as well as various resources I mention published on nutritiousmovement.com. So, here we go. How and why I walked 440 miles for my 44th birthday. In case you didn't know, my birthday is March 4th. As in, March 4th! Because even my birth date seems to say get moving. I love celebrations in general, and while writing Movement Matters, I realized that Throughout human history, the axis of celebration has primarily been movement. So for example, group dancing, and plant gathering and bonfires, big game hunts, and walking or running long distances. And that's when I began the work to celebrate personal events and milestones dynamically. For years, I've asked for a day of walking by myself or with my family as a gift for special days like my birthday or Mother's Day. And for the last four years, I've celebrated my birthday with long-distance walking. I've walked my years in miles. And this year, I wanted to mix things up. And instead of doing a long bout of walking, I decided to walk 10 miles a day for the 44 days leading up to my 44th birthday. So a total of 440 miles. So the experiment. Why walking? Walking is perhaps the oldest and most ubiquitous form of human movement. It's also a simple, practical, and inexpensive form of exercise, but we've stopped doing it as a group of humans. Why? And is it possible to restore the practice of walking? So just as reading a guide to the wilderness teaches you less about nature than getting into it regularly— I learn more about movement from actually moving than from studying movement academically. So for decades, I've been interested in how movement works. And in the last few years, I've realized that to understand the phenomena of movement... I must equally study sedentarism, and that is, what is it about humans and our societies that might prevent us from moving or keep us choosing a less active way of being in the world? With this longer birthday experiment, I wanted to find out what makes fitting walks into my day hard, with the idea that others may share some of my barriers to walking and benefit from my solutions. I want to understand the complexity of being able to fit this baseline movement into a life slash society slash culture that doesn't support walking beyond exercise or even see walking as an essential part of human activities. I suspected that in order to fit more walking into my life, I'd have to give it purpose beyond walking for example, as transportation to the places I needed to get to anyway. And here's a spoiler alert, I was right. So more on the experiment, why 10 miles? Well, I already walk about 5 miles each day, so I knew a 5-mile daily challenge wouldn't teach me as much. 10 miles a day, on the other hand, sounded hard. Not the walking part because after years of working on the mobility, strength, and alignment of my feet and knees and hips and back, as well as slowly increasing my mileage regularly, a 10-mile walk poses no big physical challenge for me. So while I knew 10 miles a day for so many days in a row could definitely take its toll, I also knew I could walk about of 10 miles comfortably. What sounded harder than the physicality? of the walk was fitting 10 miles of walking into my daily work and family life. I've been doing quarterly 20-mile walks for a couple of years, but it's easier to clear a half of day for walking than it is to fit multiple hours of walking into each day for 44 days in a row. At minimum, walking 10 miles requires 3 hours a day, and who has 3 hours to walk every day? I surely don't. Spoiler alert. I actually do. Most importantly, on the why 10 miles thing, walking 440 miles for my 44th birthday sounds cooler than walking 352 or 396 miles for my 44th birthday. So, you know, my choice to do 10 miles was pretty much a science. My experiment design wasn't because I think 10 miles of walking a day is part of some ultimate movement diet. It's just the distance required for me to gather the data I wanted. What I experienced during my daily 10 can be equivalent to what another might experience trying to fit in a 1, 2, 4, or even 20-mile walk each day. So what counts as a walk? I didn't use a movement tracker because I wasn't trying to get 10 miles worth of stepping movements or pedometer jolts per day. I wanted to see how fitting 10 miles worth of being out on a walk into each day would work. Walking is continuous, which makes it geometrically and physiologically different than individually measured steps. So instead of using an activity tracker, I went sort of old school and used an online map to figure out the mileage of the routes that I would be walking I likely accumulated steps and movements that would register more like 13 to 14 miles a day, but I wasn't measuring activity. Again, I'm only measuring walking distances. I could also often be found carrying around an actual paper map because, A, navigating by a map with my dad when I was a kid was magical, so I like to keep that up, and B, my phone is so old that it dies in any conditions that are not kangarooing it around in my shirt Like, it's a preemie. I have to keep it warm enough so that the battery doesn't instantly fail. So it's not a reliable source of directions for me at all. And, see, my sense of direction is so slow that I often have to stand on a map to orient myself. And a phone is just too small to stand on. So paper maps for the win. Okay, what walking 440 miles taught me about footwear and feet... One, if shoes weren't broken down into a looks-good category and a good-for-exercise category, walking more throughout the day might be more feasible. I have and love many minimal footwear styles for many occasions. But when it comes to walking a large volume of miles in the freezing, wet, and rainy season of the Pacific Northwest, which is when I did this challenge, My preferred shoes are water-resistant without adding any bulk or rubbing. I logged almost all of my birthday miles in two pairs of Vivo Barefoot Minimal Footwear. One was athletic and one was a dressier boot. And I say almost because I had to walk on or in snow a couple of times, in which case I wore my more snow-savvy boots. And I wore the smaller, sleeker athletic pair for most of the miles. But because I was walking so much and I needed to fit walking time into non-exercise time, I found that I needed to be able to walk while not in workout clothes. So, for example, I had to do a business trip and I needed shoes that I could wear walking from my hotel but right into a corporate meeting. So my boots were stylish, but they were also allowed me to walk 10 miles in them. So this is a shoe category that we really need more of. Two, the second thing that I learned about shoes and feet, wearing the air quote right shoes is totally a thing. The more I walked, the sore my feet and ankles were by the end of the day, and the shoes that I wore made a difference. So my sweet boots, they got the job done, but they definitely left me with stiffer ankles compared to the tennis shoes that I was wearing So even two pairs of fully minimal shoes made by the same company ended up having different effects on my body. So just know that if your body hurts when you're walking, it's very possible that your pain has to do with what you are wearing as you walk. But don't just take my word for it. You can also read my books, Simple Steps to Foot Pain Relief and Whole Body Barefoot to learn more about how shoes affect your feet and all the other parts of your body. Wait, what just happened? What walking 440 miles taught me about a balanced movement diet. So as predicted, walking 10 miles a day started to take its toll. And I don't think this was related to how much walking I was doing as much as how imbalanced my movement diet had become. So in order to fit in the walking, I had to spend less time doing other things And one of those things was the set of whole body stretches I usually do every day. So while I was swapping movement for movement, it was like swapping a salad for a handful of almonds. And after a month of only eating almonds, I could feel my need for a salad. So are you hungry now? Me too. In order to fit 10 miles in each day, I also had to convert a bit of my sitting work time to walking work time, which was great, except it also meant less stretching time because long ago, I increased my stretching time by fitting it in while I was working at my desk. So my feet and ankles were letting me know that I had to get creative. So I totally gave up standing to work when I remembered And I made sure to use a floor-sitting desk always instead to make sure that I wasn't missing any stretching opportunities. I also had to put my five favorite walk-better exercises. So that's calf stretch, soleus stretch, strap stretch, thoracic stretch, and a must-do daily set of spinal twists. And if you go to the show notes, you can find those all linked to places where you can get more information on those moves. I had to put these five exercises back into my day, but into a different place than they were before. So I wound up doing them just before bed while also catching a few pages of whatever book I was reading. I also did them for a shorter time than before, but at least I got some of those micronutrients of movement alongside this larger volume of a macronutrient like walking. And that's what kept my body feeling good and this larger volume of walking possible. Said another way, one way to deal with the almonds versus salad scenario is to just add almonds to your salad. What walking 440 miles taught me about stacking my life, choosing to do my work while sitting on the floor so that my legs are stretched at the same time and making sure my walks have a greater than walking purpose or examples of what I call stacking your life or movement permaculture. So this is from my book, Movement Matters. Multitasking and stacking your life require using the same period of time to fulfill different functions. There are big differences between the two concepts, however, and they're not semantic. Stacking your life and multitasking differ in how you approach meeting your various needs. Multitasking involves trying to accomplish many discrete tasks at the same time. Stacking your life involves the search for fewer tasks that meet multiple needs, which often requires that you are clear on what your needs actually are. Once you identify your needs and which tasks best serve you, you can attend to, pay attention to, get involved in, and focus upon a single task at hand that serves multiple obligations. So to make 10 miles work a day, I knew I had to stack as many of my 440 miles as possible To fit more walking in, walking had to simultaneously be a conduit to meeting other needs, or I would never be able to make time for it. I met a lot of needs while I was walking. So I commuted to and from work. I got my groceries, so that's bonus carrying. I took mail to and picked up mail from the post office. I ran a bunch of other errands, or I guess I should say I walked a bunch of other errands. I got my kids to school. I got my kids home from school. I facilitated my dog's need for movement. I held work calls. I had luxurious, no-pressure catch-up calls with my grandma, sister, brothers, and aunt. I spent time with friends, and I went on a date. In 44 days, I never once went on a 10-mile walk. I got my miles in before and after work in between moving my kids from point A to point B. Many days went like this. I'd wake up early to walk three miles before anyone else got up and I'd get another three to four miles broken up in the middle of the day when running errands and I'd walk a few more after 4.30 or 5 often with the family. My quick takeaways about how I got the miles in that might help you figure out how you can get more mileage are early mornings for the win and also that you can take your meals or even part of them on the go. And when you do that, you open up breakfast, lunch, and dinner times as space for walking. What walking 440 miles taught me about taking and moving time. When they get the movement they need, we call our bodies fit. But this physiological state equally relates to To the time and space for movement in our day, literally how well we can fit movement into the calendar of our lives. If we started using fit not to describe the state of a body, but the state of our time, then it would be easier to see that our bodies are merely responding to the calendars we keep as individuals and as a larger group. There's a plague of filling our days with so much that we don't need, there's no space left. For what we do need. To be fit requires us to make time space for movement and then move within it. We cannot move without the space to do so. In the past, I've experienced not being able to move my body due to pain and injury, fatigue, and just good old malaise. The gift of this experience was the chance to feel the inability to walk because there was no more time in which to fit it. Each of these scenarios can make walking difficult and all come with real feelings and adjustments that are necessary to keep going. Not walking because you physically cannot and not walking because there is no time space are separate variables, but they can also be related The less time space you have for moving, the less adapted you are to movement, which means the less movement you can tolerate. So the less you move, the more your time begins to hold non-movement things. So the less you move, and thus a downward spiral is created. Walking 10 miles a day, as I anticipated, it wasn't physically hard for me because of the volume of movement I've been accustomed to. Yes, I was tired and a little sore at the end of each day, but this was my body becoming stronger in response to this load. So it's Exercise Physiology 101. You walk 10 miles a day, and walking 10 miles a day gets easier. Walking 10 miles a day, also, as I anticipated, was hard because it was hard to fit in. My body parts, wanting to walk 10 miles a day, are under my control, but my life involves many parts that aren't mine, many parts with no interest in moving. I found it easier to move my body parts than my life parts around to accommodate the walking, but guess what? Moving my life parts in order to move my arm and leg parts made me better at moving my life parts. Someday... This should also be covered in exercise science. Move life parts to walk 10 miles a day and moving life parts to walk 10 miles a day gets easier. Also the construct of exercise has biased us towards time. We are looking for a volume of time space that we have been told that counts and we do not know how to move when we can't find that volume. So for novice time movers out there, here is what I have learned. Look for the minutes. There were so many times I'd arrive at an appointment or at school to grab a kid, and I found myself sitting for 10 or 15 minutes because it was too short to walk. Why? It's not. Take a five-minute walk every chance you can. It's way more likely that you have five extra minutes five to six times a day, then you have 30 extra minutes all at once. It's just entropy. All those extra minutes are going to be spread around into tiny places where they don't even register as time, let alone time being frittered away. Take the five-minute walk. Just take it. Those minutes, they count. What walking 440 miles taught me about vitamin community. Community matters to a ridiculous degree to this walking experiment and to humans moving more. So for starters, I couldn't have completed this mileage if I didn't have a partner who shared responsibility in all aspects of our lives and friends who would adjust their lifetime to include walking so we could do stuff together on the move. The parts involved in walking then aren't only your ankles and hips. Other people walking is also a part of your walking. Humans need other people. So in the same way, a body that's fit needs a calendar that lets movement fit into our lives. Our movement has to fit into a group of people, a group of others who recognize movement as a need. If you want to start walking more, start with a walking buddy, get your family involved, create walking and rolling themed events. You're not alone in not getting the movement you want. You're not alone in your family not getting the movement they need. Think outside the exercise box. There's a world of movement out there. Life involves a lot of transactions, and these transactions are mostly between people. So make the transactions you offer, so these are hangouts, carpooling, celebrations, emotional support. Make these transactions more dynamic, and this will create space for others to meet you there. And as they learn to meet more of their needs dynamically, they create new space for movement that invites others as well. As we each start moving more, especially outside of exercise, the more we can all move more for what we need. What walking 440 miles taught me about sedentarism and what's next. There have never been more dollars in and data from movement research, or more people talking about our need for it, yet people are moving less. Why? My experiment has got me thinking about movement instruction and how important it is to teach how life parts need to move alongside arm and leg parts. And this is the why I walked 440 miles. My greatest interest in training have always been in the mechanics of walking, how the lever systems throughout the body push and pull naturally to make walking possible. But the bigger picture reveals that in order to get these walking lever systems moving, they need space to do so. And this is where mobility justice comes into play. We need planning and advocacy for everyone to have access to walkability or rollability. But when we pan out Even wider, we see that even walkable spaces and walkable communities are not being walked in. If I've got the physical ability and the tools to improve it, I've got sidewalks and parks and the freedom of where I can put my time, and I'm still not walking, what now? I've spent years thinking that to solve a problem, you start by addressing its smallest element and slowly work your way out. But I think differently now. I think you constantly zoom in and out as what you find in each perspective informs the other. So walking 440 miles was a zoom out to see the interplay between my ankles and my community, between our local 100-mile trail system and how few of the people I know use it. Walking 440 miles was a way to see not only my landscape at human speed, but also our sedentary society at human speed. Ironically, sedentary humans move very quickly. They just zoom by, while walking ones might even appear to be almost still. Walking also looks and feels isolating. Like any countercultural practice, walking puts you on the outskirts of humanity, or at least of the humans in your sedentary group. And I think this is likely the biggest barrier to movement we all face. In our fear of being outsiders, we've become, well, we've become insiders. While I'll continue to move at least three hours a day, until I can figure out how to open more time space, I won't keep walking 10 miles a day, primarily because I like more diversity in my movement. However, I do believe a large volume of daily walking is a part that many physiological systems depend on. I've also never felt better than I have fitting these 10 miles and other micro-movements in. So I've decided to make my daily walking baseline a 10K, which is 6.2 miles, but I do love a round number, so kilometers it is. And I'm also going to keep up with my longer 20-mile quarterly walks as those help me embody the phenomenon of walkability, not only for my self-interest, but for humans and non-humans in my community and elsewhere. P.S. My editor says next year, Hey, KB, how about just a roller skating party? But I've already done that. We need a drastic cultural shift, and we need it now. If you have a safe place to walk, use it, and invite others to join you. PPS. My editor would like you to know that she too enjoys walking and drastic cultural shifts. It's just my writing takes a lot of editing. PPS. I actually really do love a roller skating party because, well, you all out there know. Raspberry beret. That was for you, Danny. All right, friends, this is it for the Move Your DNA podcast this time around. You can find this article in the podcast transcripts on nutritiousmovement.com, and all of the courses and books I mentioned are linked and easy to find at the top of the transcript. If this essay spoke to you, I encourage you to check out my book, Movement Matters. Movement Matters is along this same vein and will keep you inspired and learning about sedentarism as a cultural phenomenon I can keep you moving, too, if you get the audiobook version. If you are thinking about setting a walking challenge for yourself, keep an eye out for my collaboration course with Yoga Tune-Up and Jill Miller. It's called Walking Well. It is a downloadable set of videos where Jill and I are going to walk and roll you through all of the exercises and rollouts you need to prepare your body for, you guessed it, walking well. And if you are in the New York area, I will be teaching a dynamic aging course September 2020 at Omega Institute. On behalf of everyone at Move Your DNA and Nutritious Movement, thank you for listening. Until next time, friends, take a hike! This has been Move Your DNA with Katie Bowman, a podcast about movement. Hopefully you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such.